We're here. Welcome back, folks, to another episode of The Medium War, where movies come to be examined. I am your host, um, all of the cool leather jackets in, in cruising, joined by my fellow mm. servers of cinema. I am a, a box of nitroglycerin. <laughs> I am uh, Al Pacino kicking open that guy's door and choking. <laughs> and, and then leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that guy that Al Pacino gets fucking horribly interrogated and, and, and gets oh, slapped yeah, around big by a wide, big naked man <laughs> with a jock strap. Who is that guy? <laughs> Who is that guy? I like when J- Al Pacino goes over, takes his hat and throws it out of the open window. He definitely just improv. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, ow. Yeah, that, that's a very Pacino Because then he yeah. has it back Al, on that after that when he goes to smack the other dude. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was like a continuity thing. <laughs> he just decided <laughs> to throw his hat off. Um, but yes, we are here to continue discussing, as we uh, said in our last episode, the legacy of the late, great William Friedkin uh, with two films that Dan mm-hmm. picked today. One of them is Sorcerer, 1977. The other is Cruising, yeah. 1980. So we'll be breaking those down um, uh, mm. later. But of course, before the reviews, we have the news. And <laughs> what a newsworthy week it has been, uh, past couple weeks. Um, I guess the big, big thing is that finally, sag After has made a deal with the producers and studios yes. after a grueling. And this, this is recent as of like yeah, three days yeah. ago, right? 118 yeah. days yeah. on strike. Um, they were the last after the double strike that they were on with the writers, with the WGA, they were, they were holding out um, for a bit more provisions and they finally had, I guess most of them met. And then it went to um, the national board, the union's national board for approval on Friday. And I do believe that they yeah. approved it. So this is a big deal. It's a sigh of relief this was, uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, this was uh, about when they suspected that this would come to a close, though, because I remember uh, hearing that everyone was saying like late November mm-hmm. was when they expected uh, the deal to be mm-hmm. struck. And this is this is early by just just like a hair, you know, just mm-hmm. by like two weeks or so. Um, but I mean, that's that's good news for all parties involved. Do we know the exact uh, permutations of the deal? Based no, there's some stuff uh, I'm looking at on the actual SAG after website right now. So this says um, the deal provides meaningful protections around the use of artificial intelligence, including informed consent and compensation for the creation and use of digital replicas of our members living and deceased, whether created on set or licensed for use. The agreement includes an unprecedented wage pattern with two wage increases in the first year of the contract, 7% upon ratification, Mm -hmm. and another 4% increase effective July 2024, making a compounded first-year increase Mm -hmm. of 11.28. There'll be another 3.5 increase effective July 2025. It breaks the so-called industry pattern. Wages for background actors have gone up. um, Cool. That's good. Really cool. Of course. In a monumental breakthrough for the first time ever, the number of covered positions in the West Coast zones will equal those of the East Coast zones this is projected to add almost eleven thousand new covered background work days annually so a lot of it has to do with pay a lot of it has to do with benefits Mm -hmm. um you know just 
There was some weird holdup for a while with AI. It was. The AI stuff was like supposed to be the, the final thing that the studios wouldn't really kneel on. I, I guess they were under the impression that like um, actors didn't truly get like what they could do i think there was a precedent sent by scarlett johansson like just recently like taking out a lawsuit for some like uh use of her likeness that was uh oh yeah kind kind of kind of in conversation with the ai stuff Mm. i don't know what they what the exact thing is that they decided on but the AI, the AI shit is is very interesting. It's, AI has been more in conversation this year than probably ever before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that they had the foresight to kind of jump on AI and the use of their likenesses. Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably because there's been a lot of flagrant AI usage from from mm-hmm. you know, Disney, but probably from other Disney studios. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Disney I mean, kind of shamelessly. Well, I mean, I think we might look back at the last ten years of you know, recreating Peter Cushing for Rogue One mm-hmm. and be like, wow, that was like kind of crazy that that guy is dead. Mm-hmm. And like we created a new performance for him or we might be like, that was the canary in the coal mine and, we're, and right. it's all over now. But, but I mean, I mean, obviously very happy the actors get to go back to work. I think, you know, there is a, you know, for actors that are just kind of getting in, acting is kind of a blue collar gig for most people. Mm-hmm. So, Mm-hmm. really hope that we get to see some new faces in the next year or two. Um, there's some actors that broke out this year. You know, uh, Sophia Wilde yeah. from, from um, Talk to Me was great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just, just, you know, Hartnett has made a comeback this year. You know, I, there's actors that like really delivered this year. And I hope, you know, obviously Lily Gladstone, um, that I hope with the end of the strike, we start to see them in more things. I would agree. Um, I think a big part of it is also just obviously people from the outside and even from the inside look at like the the a-list actors who make tens of millions on these projects and and they say well how can acting be like a hard it's not a real job like you know whatever but but i think the 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 goal would be that whatever you choose to do whatever trade you ply in life you can make a a living you know which doesn't mean that you have to Mm -hmm. like have 10 houses in the hamptons but it means that like you can support yourself and your family so i think if even if it's bringing this to the level like there's there's i yeah we don't know exact figures in terms of salary or what it's going to look like but it should at least be that like even if you are just a daily on a television show you don't also have to like do nights at a bar just to like make your rent you know like there should be some way that we can i think spread the resources to make things more equitable uh this was i guess going back to the ai Mm -hmm. thing but uh, do you guys see that disney had like procedurally generated like a crowd of uh yeah. i did see that <laughs> high schoolers it, i wonder if that was based on likenesses or because i know i had heard it wasn't someone, bec- no because it looked like <laughs> sims <laughs> well you know the tech isn't you know but but i know people who did background for spider-man homecoming and they said that they like some of them signed waivers that were like yes you can continue to use our likenesses mm. um so Disney has probably thousands of faces in their database that they can just pull. They they looked like PS One like graphics. (laughs) It seemed like the 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 technology was like learning like as it was procedurally generating them. Like one of the (laughs) students is like clapping and like the hands like aren't really connecting, like lining up. You know, weird. Yeah, it it seems like the the tech is like learning like as it's on. (laughs) Do it live, I guess. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, this is this is like we said, it's a big deal. Um, I know that there were also a lot of other, uh, even like bigger, you know, shows like podcasts or YouTube shows or whatever that had also halted talking about things until um, yeah. the strike was over. So that's cool um, that they're back. Uh, but it doesn't mean that every that the ship is entirely righted. Um, a few weeks ago, we got a variety hit piece um, on on Marvel, uh, written by Tatiana Siegel, um, and I have it pulled yeah. up here. But we definitely chatted a lot about this in our group chat. Um, Wes, you want to take point on this because you've also read the book? Yeah, yeah. So, so I read the book, uh, "The Reign of the MCU," which was written by Joanna Robinson and some of her um, colleagues, and I'm a big fan of hers and. Um, you know, Marvel is in a, an odd place. I think, you know, for about 10 to 12 years, you know, Marvel was kind of the Wendy's or McDonald's of Hollywood in the, in a good way where it was like, you know, I know what to expect. Sometimes I'll get something that's really great. Mm -hmm. Most times I'll get something that will fill me up and I'll go home happy. You know what I mean? Um, and they, you know, occasionally you'd get a black Panther or a Ragnarok or an Iron Man three or you know, one of those. And, and you'd be like, wow, what a great piece of action filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And, and then other times you'd be like, this is pretty solid. And it seems as if since Endgame, the wheels have more or less fallen off the, the car. Um, in part because of the way, in part because of Iger's leaving and then returning to Disney, but being gone for about two years. Um, and in the mandate of the studio being produce more. Um, so, so we've seen kind of an influx of a bunch of projects that, you know, at best the VFX has been kind of shoddy, uh, and at worst it's, they seem a little undercooked. We've talked about some of them. At worst it's (laughs) Ant-Man. Well, well, you know, I mean, but, but I think there is, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the article. The blade stuff is, you know, Justin like went and walked into the ocean. It's there's, there's a um, lot of frustrating uh, things to and and you know how much of it is entirely verified how much of it is 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 exaggerated you know th- there are, people have been splitting hairs about it I know there was some commentary about uh, the recent release of the Marvels with Nia DaCosta and there was like you know they they really made yeah. a point of saying oh she wasn't even on the project when they were in post production which she later denied which which she, which she, yeah, she did yeah, yeah which was which was like the post production kept getting pushed right. the whole production actually doing, the whole thing yeah well, yeah. yeah well she's doing and she she kept putting off her uh prior engagements yeah, she's, and then like, she's it got doing, to a point where she was doing, like i have to yeah. move on she's yeah. doing hedda uh hedda with tessa thompson and an adaption of hedda gabler in london mm. um and that's a really important project to her, apparently. And obviously, you know, you do Marvel stuff. You know, she's a big X-Men fan, so I'm sure you'd do it because you like mm-hmm, those characters. Mm-hmm. But also, it's like you do it so that you can get money from other studios for your stuff. Yeah. So yeah. she does the Marvels, which also I think it's fair. to I think we should mention that. I think Nia DaCosta is getting a lot of – and Justin and I haven't seen this movie yet. But I think Nia DaCosta is getting a lot of heat uh is bearing a a lot of the responsibility for something that's clearly like an error in the machine it's Mm -hmm. like it's not Nia Costa's sole fault that the marvels is underperforming it's clearly there's an issue with the studio you know what i mean so you know i want to talk about that blade stuff though that's crazy can you imagine being mahershala (laughs) ali and like being behind this project for like six years now and then having to read a draft of that script where you're like the third or fourth bill to like three other people it wasn't that yeah. wasn't that the it was story? it was something yeah. A, yeah. that they, they couldn't figure out how to make blade believe <laughs> the movie called blade <laughs> yeah i i don't i don't get it i mean i think 
we, there's also a there was a formula that Marvel had early and to talk specifically about casting where they really weren't going after known names like like people mm-hmm. wanted Brad mm-hmm. Pitt for Thor they didn't do that people wanted you know they'd right. make the star yeah they would yeah. find someone who had kind of been in a few things but never really caught on and then they would use this as a vehicle to either uh, uh, create or rehabilitate in the case of like Robert Downey Jr. their image um, but now as mm-hmm. as as Marvel has aged and and with it brought back the age of major franchise blockbuster stuff other artists um and actors have had other opportunities to make their name elsewhere so now you're bring when you bring in people like by the time they brought in benedict cumberbatch to play dr strange it was like okay well he's already been like a pop cultural Insta. mainstream yeah. star yeah. and that was i remember a turning they point. make the announcements for yeah. one thing like four years ahead right. of time and they then in the movie like didn't didn't they announce benedict cumberbatch as like dr strange like when you and me were in high school i think Justin, it was floating at the very least we yeah college. i mean yeah. Yeah. yeah because it was it was joaquin ethan hawk and benedict cumberbatch were in contention yeah mm-hmm. yeah and then one of them and so they finally got that but but I also Justin, I also find it interesting with what you're saying is like Blade feels like a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like that's like if anything yeah. is going to save a, a waning, like not waning. I mean they're making millions of dollars, but but like if anything is going to save a brand that feels like the the stock is kind of going mm-hmm. down, I feel like and feels like, really safe. Yeah, yeah, like making an R-rated vampire movie mm-hmm. with the second R-rated one. Yeah, with like. Uh, a property that you've known for 25 years works yeah like people will go see a blade movie you know um and you know what you know what it also is is it's like i think there was blood in the water when they couldn't nail down a fantastic forecast when like people kept dropping yeah Yeah. and it's like it's the fantastic four like what you're playing Mm -hmm. the like reed richards (laughs) like like this is a bear you know what i mean like and they couldn't get someone to do it you know um, you heard the new new uh, news with that, right? With it's Fantastic that Four. the Always Sunny guy is, is basing <laughs> it's, it's his a director on who it. did. Yeah, yeah it yeah. goes on Always Sunny. I mean, the director, he, the the stuff that he's pulling. I need to know what episodes he did. The stuff he's pulling. He so he said the Always Sunny thing, and then in the same interview, he was like, the the runs he's looking at are Kirby, mm. uh, Kirby and Lee, Burn, Jonathan Hickman, mm-hmm. and I'm like, well, those are great. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, like if you do that then you'll have a great movie yeah, hopefully uh, yeah i heard that he was trying to go for like a 60s aesthetic like they were trying to go for something that was like really curvy i, I think i think they the, the most recent rumor is that what they're going to do is they're going to start setting up x-men and fantastic four in pocket universes mm-hmm. and then secret war will bring them all together and then uh, they'll reboot probably from, from yeah, scratch yeah um which like whatever Sure. Why not? <laughs> you know? So his name is Matt Shackman. Uh, Shackman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking He's, here. He directed like 70 something big, big TV think, director. Yeah, big big TV director. Okay, he did 43 episodes. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Start Starting in season three, yeah. um, the gang dances their asses off. Max banging the waitress. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sweet D is a heart attack. Uh, the gang cracks the livery bell. That's a great mm-hmm. episode. The Nightman Cometh. Oh my God, he did, he, he did, did some the, of the iconic the ones. Then. Episode that's fucking awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. Uh, the gang gets a new member. Max mom burns her house down. <laughs> uh, season seven, anti-social network. How Mac got fat. Thundergun Express, one of the all-time great episodes. Uh, seasons eight, ten, and twelve. Okay, so yeah, he's been on Always Sunny like oh, for he's done more than lot. ten years, pretty consistently. Oh, yeah, more he, than ten years. He did. Um, uh, Justin, he did the episode 
of Succession in season two, uh, where they find out about the cruise, where they're checking oh, the yeah? phone the whole time. Yeah, that's him. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know. He- Is that where Jeremy Strong gets like taken hostage? <laughs> no, no, no. That- <laughs> uh, although emotionally hostage, he, he would never, he would never do it. But Jeremy Strong as Reed Richards is really good. It's not bad. Just saying. It's not mm. bad. He would never do. Let's go with Glenn Howard. <laughs> Maybe not. Well, you know, my thought is like, guys, if you can't get Adam Driver, why not just cast Glenn Howard? Yeah, <laughs> like, he's there. You've already yeah. worked. I don't with know him, how dude. much yelling he'll get to do as Reed. Glenn Howardson's on on the uptick right now, man. From BlackBerry, he's he's like on top right now. Everybody he's wants very to good in BlackBerry. Um, very but good. also for that reason, even though he looks a. That's probably my best supporting actor pick for this. He year. looks a lot like Not Reed. To cut you off, no, just. no problem. But I also think his what he's acted in so far leans more Victor Von Doom because of the arch rage. <laughs> sure, um, but it it, it it would be interesting to see, uh, especially because Reed Richards can be, you know, obviously he can lean mm-hmm. egomaniacal as well. Um, he's become untethered. And knows, no knows no bounds. No um, So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, that is an announcement that is pending. Uh, But one announcement that seems to have been confirmed finally after a 10-year wait, Dan ran to his rooftop Mm -hmm. and stripped naked in the rain. Uh, GTA 6, (laughs) maybe. Do you guys remember the year 2013 when Grand Theft Auto V came out and how that was like, maybe this was just my experience, but that was like all anybody could talk about. I remember it was big. Like, I remember that that was when I went to uh, a new Mm -hmm. high school and... It was like you heard it in the hallways. You heard like teachers talking about it. It was just like everybody was just talking about GTA Five and like counting down the days until GTA Five. It was like it was like the next like evolution, and you know it was gonna it was gonna kind of spike the ball as it were, and like nothing was gonna be the same moving forward. And that game came out, and I remember like I I bought a PS3 just to play it, and. Like I, I would have like friends come over and and just we would just play GTA Five for hours on end. Like mm-hmm. like the week and the month that that came out, that was that was like that was like life mm-hmm. pretty much. And I remember the speculation was that like GTA Six was going to drop somewhere around the end of the PS4 life cycle, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess ended officially like three years ago right something like that probably like, what was like, the last like big game saying? for it uh, like probably right. the last of us part two yeah that's that's what i would say um and you know like fans kind of like obsessively have just done this whole thing where they'll look at like every single thing that rockstar puts out and they'll be like the moon phase and and this screen cap is a waning gibbous which must mean that the, the announcement is, is like four months out or something like that. I mean, the whole game leaked before mm-hmm. there, before there was an official announcement. And what we saw was like, was like beta footage. I think mm-hmm. that that must've been like three or four years old, like at the time that it was leaked. Um, so who knows what the game looks like now, but it's, I guess I, I should say they confirmed that a trailer will be releasing in early December Probably that means at the Game Awards mm-hmm. uh, when they do Game of the Year and stuff, because um, th- there's there's no there was no need to like bother like formally announcing the game. I guess like yeah. those leakers are the Did ones it. who like announced it, announced it. Um, so they were like, we. I mean, y'all know what the fuck it is. Like the game's coming <laughs> out, trailers coming out in December. Like be there. Uh, and I'm and I'm sure that trailer is going to close with like it, it's it's going to be live. So everyone's going to be like, yeah. And then it's mm-hmm. going to close with 
2025 or 2026 and everyone's going to 2028. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think, Dan, I, 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 I think about this when it comes to video games, I feel like even more than films or any other kind of visual medium, and maybe even more than like albums, video games seem very, video game fans rather, seem very, um, seem to want sequels more often than like, consumers mm-hmm. of any other thing like mm-hmm. i like it, sure. it feels like people are less sad. like because i guess because of how quickly video game technology advances you always want to yeah. see the the freshest cleanest iteration of of, of the game mm-hmm. whereas mm-hmm. with movies it's like no, i don't really i got three of these i don't need to see a fourth but it's like whereas like game like gamers are like happy about like a remake getting announced oh yeah and exactly that's probably yeah. the only medium where like, we're like we'll get super excited for a right remake, right? right yeah 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 it, it's interesting to me because I, I think, I mean, do you think that there's a world where people would have been satisfied with five being the last Grand Theft Auto or, and it's hard uh, to say, I guess. But. I, I don't know, man. I mean, I mean, five is a pretty narratively compelling uh, story. I always really loved the story in that game and the three mm-hmm. protagonists. It was very inspired by like Breaking Bad yeah, um, mm-hmm. and kind of the resurgence and like, uh, television is yeah, like it's a, very a medium TV. with like artistic merit and stuff yeah it's very prestige tv um i, I don't know it's, it's like I, I played gta online for years and like knowing that they had all this technology like cooking for red dead redemption 2 it was like man right. like this already feels old hat five years in and like we didn't know it at the time but we had to, we would have to wait like at least another five years I and mean, probably it's going to go on eight uh yeah. for for the new game and, and they have all this tech I mean, Rockstar has like all this cutting edge shit that, like, yeah. like you know, they like, patented and and no one else has access to. Um, there was some news story about like some some company tried to buy their um, their AI that they designed like for traffic in like their games mm-hmm. in order to like teach like self driving cars or something like that. Really, <laughs> and, and like Rockstar's patents was like what they were going after. Um, don't quote me on that. It was something. It was something like that. That's interesting. Uh, that that was a couple of years ago, yeah. Um, but you know, really, it's just I, I'm really excited for a new Rockstar game. I mean, Red yeah. Dead Redemption Two is five years old, uh, which makes me feel insane because that yeah. game still still feels brand new. You know, yeah, still edits on TikTok for Red Dead Redemption Two. Absolutely, like, man. It's yeah. it's. I mean, I think it's so funny what you guys are saying about. I I, I played GTA Five all through the pandemic with my dad. Like mm-hmm. it, was, it was the only thing that was keeping us sane. Um, yeah. And it's just odd that, you know, not odd, but it's just such a difference in between movies and video games is like, it's expected to wait for a video game. You know, you can wait a decade for a mm-hmm. video game and you're like, that's right. But for a movie, you know, we're getting as soon as we're getting a Megan two in like a year, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like when we're just, mm-hmm. that's expected. Um, there, there's some precedent for that. Like, like I feel like Activision franchises are, are like really big, or I mean, Oh my God, the, the big news story this week from that was a uh, call of duty. The new call yeah. of duty was developed in yeah. 16 months. Yeah. They, their, their turnaround time is 16 months. And normally they get three years to work on those games. And like those games come out rushed as it is. And it's like, a, imagine well, less than half of that development time. Assassin's yeah. Creed has been, they've been putting out two games a year for like the past six years too, right? Mm. With Ubisoft. And and like Odyssey, it was just full of like, uh, like grinding. Yeah. You know, all these things behind like paywalls. Yeah. There's definitely a conversation that has been had um, about how video games increasingly are increasingly expensive, but release increasingly mm. incomplete. <laughs> um, right. 
and and it's and there's sort of a reliance. There's almost a reliance on the fan base and the player base to tell the developers what's wrong with the game mm. after mm-hmm. it's come out, rather than them testing it thoroughly beforehand. Yeah. Um. And so then you get into a, a cycle of of updates and patches and all that. And which... that can really affect a game's reputation. Like Cyberpunk's reputation is still affected by that. And, yes. and that game that that game like I played it all the way through when it came out when it was buggy and I thought it was pretty much a nine out of 10. Like I loved that game when it came out, but like, even like now they've, they've completely done this new like swap of upgrades to the game and mm. it's like perfect, but like you still see like the, the pushback from it coming out uh, at, in like a state that was like nearly unplayable, not quite. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, I feel like the, the devs that have really squeaky clean reputations are, are like the guys who release stuff when it's like, good and ready you know i'm yeah. talking about like the naughty dogs and the rock stars and stuff mm. uh definitely not the pokemon developers they, they release <laughs> unfinished games like every year um so, so it goes yeah so you it goes res- so it goes as right. i'm excited for december man yeah man i'm i'm happy for you i'm happy for all the all the auto fans um <laughs> yeah. but i guess that, that'll justin you, that's not quite your cup of tea it's you don't it's like just, robbing. It, you don't like robbing people and ending. Up. You know what it is? Like robbing and stealing. I've. Yeah. It's so funny because I've had that game. I've had experiences with that game in in the past. But all like my my parents, specifically my dad, has always been like morally opposed to it. But then he, my dad, loves Red Dead Redemption, which is like yeah, which the is same kind of game. Yeah. But yeah. I think because it's in the, it's like there's a removal it's in the a wild west, yeah. so it feels a bit more detached. Um, well, it's a journey through American history. It's exactly. not just blowing people's kneecaps off. <laughs> not only that, <laughs> hog tying clan members and throwing them to alligators. Mm. God, that um, game was so good, dude. Yeah, uh, I, it was my, so good. My favorite genre of of TikTok video is uh, people modding GTA Five and like just mm-hmm. like modding it so that it's like Spider Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> Sp- Spider Man like, is like gunning down Rick and Morty. <laughs> it's like unrecognizable. <laughs> Subway did GTA. modded it so that it was the Franklin character model, but like like moved like the PS4 Spider Man. So he's like uh-huh. web slinging, but it's still Franklin. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. I mean, just imagine when they release the source code for your, for GTA Six and the mods for that. That's gonna be that's gonna be like the next twenty years of entertainment. <laughs> just what they're gonna do in that in that new Rage engine. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be like someone's gonna make an invincible game inside of GTA Six. You know? Isn't uh, isn't isn't cruising kind of like Grand Theft Auto? Because you know they're. Like a little, if you really, if you really, cars. if you really squint, if you, if you squint, <laughs> why not? Uh, why not? Why not? We'll take our yeah. first break and then come back to talk about Billy Freakin's cruising. You can bone my wife, sleep in my house, but you cannot watch, watch my, my television. television set. Not listen to my podcast. So good. <laughs> oh, shit. Give me all you got. <laughs> Give me all you got. Welcome back, folks. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Pacino's so good, man. <laughs> Even when Pacino is bad, is. Pacino's the best, dude. Like, come on. Well, I think, like, following this movie, because right after this, he does Scarface. And, like, Scarface so, okay. is pretty much... How he acts for like the remainder of his <laughs> career, you know. Danny, I need you to look at my at my username because I was. Thank you for giving me the end. 
Pacino has been replaced. <laughs> and I think we got to talk about it. I think cru- after cruising, he becomes a fundamentally different. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, he does, which is interesting because the movie is about a guy taking on a role. Right. And then like it changing him mm-hmm. irrevocably after the fact. Mm. There you go. It's funny because like yeah. uh, the like the Godfather is what like really puts him on the map. Mm-hmm. But you don't. I guess you don't think of the Godfather as like a Pacino vehicle per se. Right? More part two. You, you, th- no. you think of sure. Two. You, you two. think of like Scarface. Like yeah. you, you think of Scarface, and like the first thing you think of is Pacino. Yeah. You, you but uh, you also with the Godfather. You like watching the Godfather, and then even watching this, you can kind of see like him starting to shed like who he was like the kind of actor persona he is because you know mm-hmm. in the godfather it's like he just panic at needle park he gets godfather great movies are ready panic to, needle park is fucking great the producers are ready to fire this guy does godfather they have to move the shooting of the cops up the schedule so that the producers can see that he's a good actor mm-hmm. um and he's like nervous the whole time he like ends that scene goes outside to do the rest of it breaks his ankle is convinced he's going to get fired. Yeah. So like the whole Godfather is like racked with him being like, am I going to become Al Pacino? And then he uh-huh. does two and, and it's a star vehicle. And then he becomes like big Al. And he becomes like, big Al. like Tony, you know, big Al on campus. Uh, you know, well, Dan, you, you selected these two movies. Um, so I was interested. If sure. You, okay. So, so just yeah, talk a I, bit I about this is where we should, yeah. Why, you know, uh, so William Friedkin, man, one of the great, uh, iconic, directors of new hollywood mm-hmm. uh whose career was kind of defined by experimentation you know early on and later on and uh he begins with uh the sunny and share movie um which is kind of like made for tv and that's like his uh oh my god but he does okay so hold on he does, he does a lot of television actually mm. he does uh the alfred hitchcock hour uh in in 1965 but the you know the boys in the band the the first big movie and then he yeah. follows that up yeah. with french connection which big is like deal. another home run and the exorcist uh right after right previous so episode that's that's a great little three movie run to kind of uh establish yourself with mm-hmm. and his follow-up to the exorcist is of course sorcerer but we're talking about Two, two movies ahead of that, uh, Cruising, the queer thriller from 1980, starring, of course, Al Pacino as a police detective who goes undercover in the underground S&M uh, community to lure out and ensnare a killer. Uh, it's got some little giallo flourishes. It's got some absurdist comedy mm-hmm. here and there, um, but it's... A bit of a slasher. bit of a slasher yeah, for a bit of second. a crime thriller and at some points, bit of a police procedural mm-hmm. um, and it's it's just one of these movies that like uh i feel like really hooks you early on yes. and uh you know i i turned it off a little bit early last night i just like had to get to bed and you know i was just thinking i was like man like i'm laying awake right now like i could be finishing cruise because 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 i love this movie i saw this in theaters uh a little over a year ago and i was just like blown. i didn't even know it was a freaking movie i just had right. heard that it was this you know this queer thriller with Al Pacino that has this like big cult following and, and, you know, kind of like blew me away. And then the credits rolled and I was like, Oh shit, freak him. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, which yeah. weird. Cause like it starts with like William Friedkin's cruising, cruising at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but God, this, this, I, I mean, I don't really know if you guys are as hot on this one as I am, but this yeah, is I, gotta be one of my favorite, one of the most underrated movies of the eighties for me. I, 
I really enjoyed it. I, 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 I really, really enjoyed it. I thought, um, it, it felt like a, a, a slasher film, which, which, mm-hmm. you know, but even more than that, it reminded me a lot of Fincher, uh, and it reminded me a lot of what Fincher would go on to do, which is like, you know, seven Zodiac, even gone girl, these kind of, of like, as well, yeah. these like pseudo slasher thrillers, procedural things. Um, and the, the I don't know. I think is like a Giallo killer. The way the well, way he wanna... speaks in these hushed whispers and like the crinkling of like his leather getup and stuff. You know, it's such an idiosyncratic sound design. I want to talk about the killer a little later because I think what the movie does with the killer or killers is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I think the sound mixing on the killer, even yeah. when he's the difference between when he's talking to other people. And then when so he's in cool. killer mode, the sound design is a little bit yeah. different. I... There, there's a bit early on when he's talking to this one guy in the SM club, and that guy is like yelling to like yell over the music yeah. and stuff. And then when the killer talks, and it's clearly ADR, but that's like what adds to like the uncanniness yeah. of it. He's like speaking in like a hush whisper, but but his hush whisper it's... is like just bassy yeah. and loud enough to like to penetrate meet the guy who's like yelling to kind of con- mm-hmm. to get himself across, you know. The levels to that were great. I I think one thing I wanted to do with you guys is like make a Mount Rushmore for Al Pacino playing cops Uh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. because he's, I don't know. I think, I think Al Pacino gets a lot of shit today. We were just doing him from heat uh, because he, he does kind of go for the the cheap seats now, I think is kind of what he's doing. Everyone loves Al, right? But, but well, yeah, I mean, but I, but I think there is a, this is kind of like him mid metamorphosis where he's still Mm -hmm. kind of the, the unassuming every man actor guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and I really, really like, I really like what the movie does with him. I like that. He's kind of unknowable that mm-hmm. the way the movie, the way freaking shoots, you know, I think a lot of, I said this in my letterbox review. I think a lot of the people who talk about cruising talk about like the club scenes and how well those are shot. Yeah. But I think the thing that really surprised me was how freaking shoots him when he's like with his girlfriend and mm-hmm. how sterile mm-hmm. it is. And like, especially when they, when they break up, and, and it's like, it doesn't even seem like he's attracted to her anymore. We like barely get close-ups on Pacino yeah. in those scenes. It's right. like a Sears commercial. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's so clear that Pacino is like, just not even there. Like mentally is not even with her anymore. Um, and I thought that that was really, I don't know. I think freaking freaking's camera is like, unlike anyone else in the new Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Like he's so, he's so good at blending documentary and Absolutely. film with this kind of um, pseudo noir Thing. And yeah. he does it in The Exorcist, where you go between these long lens shots of following yeah. people to like Reagan mm-hmm. in, in the room and it's dark and it's, you know. Uh, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I, I feel like it it would have been so great to be able to make these movies like in the 70s and the 80s. You know what I mean? Like like he's, he's definitely helped by the time where he's making movies because... There was nothing like that, that like 70s New York and that 80s New York, like for, for different reasons. But like, you know, I, I love New York movies and I love how like they're always such a time capsule to like the phases yeah. that the city goes through. And this is this just watching this. It's like even if it wasn't like a masterfully made uh, psychological thriller, you see all the all this footage of like. Uh, the gays hanging out in Central mm-hmm. Park and just kind of like s- sitting on the slopes and like got that like underground like club scene like it all it it looks like a different like world i don't know he's he's really helped by like the time that he's making this movie i think yeah of course it's uh 
It's very specific, and that's part of why it works. I uh, I also enjoyed this movie. I actually thought when I started watching it, because I watched Sorcerer first, I actually thought that I was going to like cruising more. And then just by the end, mm. I think it came in just a hair under. And we'll talk a bit about that. But um, I, I love a police procedural. I love a detective story. That's just part of cure. what I'm interested in. Very yeah, much like it's, it's a little bit curious, too. So I was I was yeah. feeling it. And I liked this, you know, the scheme of like getting this guy undercover and. I also felt that <clears throat> there was a bit more, and this is intentional, I think, you know, there's a bit more understanding of who uh, Steve, whatever his real name is, slash uh, John, whatever his fake name is, uh, John, John Forbes. Forbes. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a bit more investigation into who he is as a character, whereas in Sorcerer, it's like four men on the run. But um, so that, mm. that kind of helped graft me to the story. Um there are some things that I thought could have been a little more fleshed out in terms of seeing him out, maybe outside of his work. And, and I maybe did want to see a bit more of his relationship with, uh, with Marion. I saw her face in the movie. I couldn't realize where I knew her from Marion from Indiana Jones. Oh yes. yeah, that's her. Who so unfortunately was also in this year's installment. Oh well, what are you gonna do? Um, yeah, what can you do? But hey, I, I like it, and I think you need you need to pay your light bill. <laughs> you gotta, you, you gotta even if it's for one scene, and you show up and say, "Oh, Wendy, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, maybe a lot more." I'm, I'm sure, uh, but. I, I too really appreciated the the old New York photography. I think New York is one of the most cinematic locations, um, and maybe that's just because it's the one that oh, I've yeah. seen the most of. But I think just it agrees with film, um, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's well performed. You get Paul Sorvino in here, by the way, with an incredibly yeah. like understated oh, but cool, dude. like weathered detective performance. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I really liked him. I love the cops in this yeah. movie, and yeah, I'll too. never say that again. I don't like <laughs> oh cops in uh, real life. Joe Spinell, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wes, have you seen Have you seen Maniac? Um, where where no. Joe Spinell plays this serial killer in the city? Who's um, he's he he's it's one of those serial killer things where they're like obsessed with their mother. Lovely. You know, there's like a million of those, mm-hmm. but like he he is like pursuing women at night who are like sex workers and things like that, and he's scalping them and like bringing their scalps back to his apartment and like putting their scalps on like these mannequins and yeah. keeps in his apartment. This one is the, the one that movies of the 80s. Elijah Wood remake, um, right? Yeah, yeah. There was a remake with Elijah Wood. Yeah. There's, there's a really famous scene where uh, Tom Savini from Dawn of the Dead, like gets his head blown off uh, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's like a very great, like a uh, Joe Spinell jumps in the hood of a car and uses a shotgun and blows off Tom Savini's head. And it's like shot in okay. slow motion. And it, it's like the scanners head explosion. But anyways, that's like mainly where I know him from, but he's in like the Godfather. Uh, he's in he's Rocky. In he is. He's in, taxi dri- he's in taxi. He's in Rocky, he's in taxi yeah. driver. He's in taxi driver. It, anytime I see him show up in a movie from this, like he's, he's in two movies with the uh, Pacino. He plays that corrupt cop who, who makes the two uh, cross dressers. Like he, he basically sexually yeah. um, assaults, assaults yeah. the, the two cross dressers. Yeah. yeah. He's God. He's fucking great in this too. And that's such a creepy movie. It is all around. Well, yeah. It, it's like um and also it's especially creepy because it's where justin and i live so it's like every once in a <laughs> yeah, while see a place pacino will like walk to dodge hall where i went to film yeah. school, <laughs> and i'll be like <laughs> yeah I <laughs> you know that. Um, no i i i i really i it, it is such a creepy movie i don't know if there's any i guess i guess fritz lang's m kind of founds oh sure yeah. detective movie as horror sure. as horror movie thing 
but it, it feels like it really like calcifies what Fincher and also uh, what Kurosawa does in Cure, like like the really? idea that like the de- the detective like descends into the underworld and it gets darker and darker as we Definitely. go on, you know. Yeah, the kinds of uh, all the stuff with like his dad and and like the voice of like his father coming through him and stuff. Dude. It's also like the rest of the movie is is very like not by the numbers, but but it's like we're we're gonna you know like catch this guy yeah. and it, but then like you get to it and it, and it's this like kind of confounding like reveal and like psychology of like what's what's going on in this in this student's yes. like mind. Well, what did you guys think of that that third act there with him? So the the yeah, the killer is interesting. I didn't expect, um, I didn't necessarily expect the reveal to play out the way it did um, with us, mm-hmm. where, where we spend like some individual time with him. But they almost yeah. do. I mean, it's 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 psycho in a way. Like it's mm-hmm. you know, there's this sort of um, bifurcation in his personality where he can just be the musical theater student by day, and then at night, for yeah. you know whatever reasons, uh, he he feels compelled to, to, to do these murders. I think it wasn't that I necessarily, I, I, I didn't, I don't necessarily going into a movie need to understand a killer's motivation, but I did think that the movie right. was teeing that up. So when I didn't get it per se, I, I, I felt a little bit um, underwhelmed by like, I knew who mm-hmm. he was. And then because of that, I expected to find out more about why he does what he does. Um, well, it's also so abstract, right? Yeah. Like the, mm. the, the whole reveal that that's what I was kind of trying to angle for there yeah the, um, the revelation of 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 yeah. him and then go like the the letters that he's writing to his dead father and yeah. going to see him on the park bench and you know i mean i i guess what i in, inferred and this doesn't necessarily have to be the answer in order for me to take value from the the movie or the performance but maybe there was some i thought there was some kind of like abuse perpetrated onto him by his father right. that then caused That's him to grow up hating himself and whether that was sexual abuse or physical abuse or both, um, and then yeah. perpetuate that abuse on other people. Because, especially because in the yeah. first murder, there's like a quick flash of like anal sex that's happening as he's stabbing the guy. And I didn't know if it was mm-hmm. a thing of like, this is this is a sexual thing for the killer. The dual or if penetration. He was, yeah, or if he was flashing back to something that has happened to him. And in, in either case, I did, to, I think just to answer your question, when the revelation of the killer came, I was also expecting a more comprehensive revelation of his motivation um mm-hmm. or his, or an, an understanding you made me do this <laughs> yeah, yeah you made me you do made this me yeah you made me do this um <laughs> but but i still think that his aura uh, was incredible and i think he's he's he or yeah. like wes said they uh are a very effective sort of boogeyman throughout mm-hmm. the film um i was just gonna say it's it's I guess this speaks to the film's pacing, but how we keep going from these like large swaths of like spending time with Pacino, a uh-huh. little bit of time mm-hmm. with the detectives, and then going and spending time with the killer when he's like out and he's like on the prowl and he's he's so kind of uh, foreboding, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. his his whole kind of presence is so like uh, he he just seems so abstract. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like when we're following him in the park at night. And it's getting darker and darker the more they enter like the heart of the park, and then they're like entering the brush. It, it just that is that is the most like fight or flight yeah. like moment like probably in the entire movie. Uh, you know him him in the porn theater and like and like the way he shot there, and especially when he's like mm. 
killing these people it's like there's so much like style to mm-hmm. it you know it's like mm-hmm. when when the the porno is being projected on the wall and you see the silhouette of the hand coming mm-hmm, up with mm-hmm. the knife it's like all this really like classic horror movie stuff it's it's a very like in in its finest moments it's like really scary in a way that like tracks that like this is the director of the exorcist yes you know like oh, like yeah. it, it it definitely feels like what i always thought of as like freaking there are moments where it it feels scarier than the exorcist to me Mm -hmm. so i think i think you know the exorcist is probably a scarier overall movie and that's the purpose of that movie is to scare you but there are parts of cruising that are deeply unsettling there's Mm -hmm. a someone uh in my film school class uh, i think made a movie called i'm looking through your window Mm -hmm. uh which is the best horror movie great title title. (laughs) uh but 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 like that idea right like that idea that there's like oh like you're being watched and in your most vulnerable mm-hmm. moment like when you are mm-hmm. like taking off your clothes there is someone waiting mm-hmm. you know to kill you yeah uh i wanted to touch briefly on the killer so dan you've seen this movie more than me so you probably have a better idea my thought here is that there are three killers i think there is a okay. killer who is doing the dismemberment him no, no, no. So I think I think there are there's a killer who's doing the dismemberment and tossing people in the water mm. uh, because they were like the kitchen knife could kit could dismember, but it's really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel like there is a third killer that we are not being privy to. There is the guy they catch that Pacino stabs in the stomach. Mm-hmm. That is the primary. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, we're led to believe that Pacino who. Who I guess you know, not to put a label on it, but seems to be a closeted man, uh, mm. has killed his neighbor. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, that that is that is such an interesting way to wrap up the movie too. It, it it like opens up all these like new questions, and then like the movie's over. It's yeah. so interesting. I thought it was genius. Like I thought I thought because the idea is that the the primary killer kills people out of a kind of like, um, in like embarrassment or like um fear of being discovered as who he mm-hmm. is and and the idea that that pacino is like is like we never see him consummate anything we see him almost consummate mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. but it's like pacino who's clearly like uh, at the very least attracted to men is embarrassed by it yeah. is trying to return to this normalcy at the end and to do that he has to kill this person who was only kind to him that yeah. like he could have just had an like a relationship mm, with, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's, what's also cool about that is how that particular moment, it, the, the vagary in that moment, I think is really interesting because it could easily have been uh, that his neighbor's partner who, who, yes. who was jealous of uh, that character's relationship with John Forbes, quote unquote, with Al Pacino. Yeah. And, and who yeah. he knows they've been having those domestic. Yes. Uh, those, those debates. But there's also a way that Friedkin shoots the the corpse and there's this like look of surprise on the victim's face. This look of like, which I, I don't know. I'm, again, this is sort of like just Kuleshov effect. Like you read into the editing what, sure, what's there, sure, but sure. Um, or what may not be there, I mean. But uh, it almost seems that Friedkin is suggesting that the victim, like, yes, he knew the attacker. There was no struggle, but that he was almost surprised that someone who he thought was kind to him was his friend was doing this, which would lend credence mm. to the idea that it was Al Pacino and not his boyfriend who he's been fighting every day for, you know, however long. Um, yeah. 
And it was, and it was, that's another reason why I kind of like, even them, the two of them, I kind of wanted to maybe another scene between them as, as Pacino's yeah. getting deeper into the, the S and M and the culture, maybe to contrast, like, because it doesn't seem like, I, what is this character's name? Uh, I think it's Tim, Ted, maybe. Uh, something with a T. I'm gonna say Ted. I might be wrong. The, the guy with the impeccable fashion sense. Yes, right. Um, uh, <laughs> it doesn't seem like he's per se a part of the the leather subculture. He knows about it, but right. it no. seems like he's a bit more mm-hmm. of a of a. Uh, he's writing his play. Yes, he's writing his he's play. More he's more of a play. bookworm. Yeah, yeah, he's more of a bookworm. Yeah. So it would have been interesting. Oh God, I love that. I, I'm so sorry that I'm so sorry to interrupt. Hmm. There was a line of dialogue that really stuck out to me. He's talking about how his boyfriend is at the beach, and he says, uh, "The world can wait for whatever play I can turn out, uh, but the summer sun awaits for no man, mm. or something mm. like that." Yeah. I, I th- this this movie is laden with like great little lines yeah. like that. No, it's it's really well R- real uh, real Columbia MFA <laughs> right there. something. Well, it's Columbia it's MFA you know it's good. And because of that, I I I, I wanted yeah, just maybe if it was one more moment to observe the contrast and how deeply sure. John Forbes has gone into this uh, this culture. Now, as to whether or not he he had always been closeted or 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 what have mm. you. That's interesting. It's one way to read the movie. I think what's what just occurred to me is also fascinating is like the ways in which some of his operations, some of the things he says as a police officer could also be mapped to just a gay civilian. There's a, there's an interesting thing where like yeah. when when they're being he 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 uh, brings that guy into his motel room who he thinks might be the killer, and then they do the sting and yeah. the guys arrest him. When Al Pacino dude, comes out dude, and he says, dude. uh, you came in too early, you were too early. Either yeah, yeah, either yeah. he means I you didn't were already tied up. But. Either he did he means I didn't have enough information, or he means I kind of wanted that to go further physically and you yeah. interrupted me. I think that's really interesting how like his role starts to become gray, obviously, as the film goes on. I just feel so bad for that guy. Yeah, that was it's, it's like when the when the cops are listening through through the briefcase and the headphones, that really old timey mm-hmm. uh you know bust thing. Um, sting operation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the guy is going, uh this is weird. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I don't want to do sees, this. Like, this is really weird. Yeah. yeah. And then they bust him anyway. Yeah. It's like so funny. he's like clearly not the guy. Yeah, just not that not that it, guy. it's you're not that guy now. <laughs> uh not that guy. The, the, the one of the funnier sequences in the movie is when they bust Pacino and Pacino's like tied up. And he's like, hey, he's like, what, hey what are you doing? Like, Get out of here. Scrap. <laughs> well, you know what's so funny, dude? I, I wonder, I'm sure someone has written about this in a freaking book or a new Hollywood book. Uh, but it's so interesting the way, and I love De Niro. De Niro's one of my favorite actors. But De Niro didn't take risks no. no absolutely not the way Pacino did which is maybe why De Niro is still considered one of the greats and Pacino is kind of like Pacino uh I think well, I think I mean well Pacino is one of the greats but I think De Niro generally is considered to be uh an acting heavyweight still and I think sure, Pacino sure. frequently is thought of as like you know Big yeah. Al uh, which I think is I mean, not he always fair, just but... fully put his faith in Scorsese you know I but, mean, I mean but who, I also... who's to say if he takes Raging Bull if Scorsese isn't the one who makes that movie right mm. well well you know I think but I think it's like I think De Niro always plays for with with a few exceptions uh, always plays with his macho yeah, image one like, way there's or never another, like a stripping around. away right, right, right. even King of Comedy is kind of like a macho guy in like a stand-up yeah. comic kind of way. 
in the war with grandpas, really... like a, a macho guy. I mean, who's like a grandpa and bad and bad grandpa, <laughs> and is, bad about grandpa a, yeah. is a macho guy. Is about a macho guy who who's a bad grandpa. Uh, Audrey Plaza. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Does um, does that happen in that movie? It sure does. Wow. Wow, she she was uh, just like me. Mark just like me for Chucky real. And What's the movie where he fights Sylvester? St- a grudge match. There we go. Where he boxes Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> uh, but but Pacino. All this to say, Pacino takes risks with his career with this movie. Uh, later, you know, with Jack and Jill. Uh, you with, know, he with takes Panic uh, in the Park, man. To circle I'm, back I to was that. Totally kidding. Jack and Jill's not a good movie. <laughs> we, we walked right. That movie runs. <laughs> I see what I'm you mean, though, Jack Wes. And, I, and I think. Even I was, we were having this conversation in another, you know, chat a while ago. But I think between the two of them, yeah, you could probably count a few more times. It, again, in that early span of his career, from the through the seventies, where he was messing, uh, not messing, but he was finding his image, and in that, he was taking on different kinds of roles. Uh, I yeah. think De Niro sort of was locked in from from the beginning. Yeah. The, I, I mean, even with like Cape Fear, where he's being like a psychopath. He's still macho. Sure, sure. Uh, but I would yeah. say that's probably the most, like, that's one of the mo- more Pacino distinct. covers more ground, though. Yeah. I, he goes from, like, hopeless drug addict to, like, hopeless drug king. Exactly. <laughs> this is a real arc to his career. Um, I wanted to to circle back to the cops in the movie because I think what's really interesting about them, and this is maybe my last major point, uh, is that freaking more in this movie but a little bit in the exorcist has a way of getting into the mind of of policemen of the policeman um Mm, which in a way that doesn't necessarily like seek to redeem or or illuminate about them or anything but it just kind of it it shows what the job does to a person uh to in varying degrees like you look at paul servino in this and even though they probably have some makeup on him you're like oh this guy like his life is much worse than whatever it was before yeah. he before he became an officer. What do you think of that scene where um the young uh I guess like you would say drag? I don't think we know enough about it. She could be a trans woman, mm-hmm. but she's the informant, mm-hmm. and uh, he he has her and um she, she goes I need to talk to yeah. you, and they go into that into his office to speak in private. And she talks to him about uh, Joe Spinell yes. sexually assaulting her. And he he almost seems to, it's not like just a rejection. It's also like, oh, God, now I have to deal with this. And, he, and he, he, he's yeah. like, uh, bring me a name and a badge number. Don't come in here with stories like that. Mm-hmm. He just kind of like shoved yeah. her out of the office. It's a really interesting scene. It is. I mean, to, I, 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 was, I guess it's all complicity, right? Yes, that's kind there's, of there's definitely that. And for. I also think, well, by, well, also by the end when he sees that dude and he sees his name tag, he realizes, oh, she wasn't lying. But I think mm-hmm. that um, yeah. I was actually expecting a bit more like like flagrant homophobia in the script. Like from the cops mm-hmm. to war, which and it, it doesn't seem to go in that direction. You, you get a little bit of yeah. that like early on, but it tracks. I mean, they're, right they're for who they are. But cops. I guess even even yeah. even with that, movies can sometimes obviously turn the dial up to eleven and and kind of like really sure. focus on like yeah whatever sure. phobia the thing is. Um, and I felt mm-hmm. like it wasn't so heightened that it 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 felt like right. you were just being um. Like you were just putting yourself, <laughs> Bill Freakin was putting his own. Yeah. It felt very tasteful. It felt tastefully applied. In, in terms of how this that. aged, I mean, I, I think it gets a lot of uh, roses from mm. from the queer community. Mm. Like like this is one that they circled well, back to. They protested like, it when it came out. I don't know about now. Decent. Yeah, they did. 
but but now also, it's got a pretty decent was a few, following. It, it, it's one of those things that also like there was a few like murders around the time and people sure. were like, Oh, well it's cruising's mm-hmm. fault. Fault. Which yeah. is always, you know, I mean, is kind of the old. That's Billy said, Loomis, don't you go blaming the movies. Killers. Yeah. Movies don't, yeah, movies. Psychos. movies don't make killers. Movies make psychos more. Movies make psychos more. <laughs> yeah. Justin, you just watched those movies. You can't, you can't engage. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not I'm ready. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, eh. but, but when the movie came out, it was kind of like a, uh, last temptation of Christ thing where sure. they like hadn't yeah. seen it and they were picketing yeah. it. Is that what was going and, on? Yeah. And also, you know, it, I think, I think it's not unfair to say it may have taken, it may have hit Pacino's career for a second. Like for a second, mm-hmm. people were like, why would you take cruising? Like yeah. you're, you're Al Pacino and you know, but he's always been a guy that's been interested in like weirder stuff. Yeah. He takes Serpico. He takes dog day afternoon. Like he takes things that are God, a little dog day afternoon is great. Oh yes. Yeah, so, so he, this that makes it two movies then around this like same era yeah, where your characters yeah yeah like i said i think that it, it you know i find it mostly i you could probably if we had our ducks in a row when this movie came out you could probably pair this with like holy spider uh yeah okay and and there was a lot of criticism that's leveled against that movie for how it seems to sensationalize and linger too much on the psyche of the man who's murdering these sex workers rather than like sure. the actual devastation that may be left in those people's lives. Um, mm. This movie, I don't think does that per se. I think this movie actually manages to ha- have its cake and eat it too, where it's procedural and you want to get the guy who's doing this, but even by the time, and maybe, so maybe to, to sort of um, fight back against my own point earlier about the killer's motivation maybe expanding on that too much would have led to sort of a slippery road where we're either we're saying that like, Oh, men who are sexually abused by men always become serial killers or we're saying, or we're just finding another way to justify what he's done. So maybe leaving it vague kind of gave Friedkin some room to breathe um, and not worry about that. Um, But I think that this movie does from my perspective, I, I think it achieves a balance of like, communicating a tragedy without uh overindulging in it i guess mm-hmm. yeah. so um yeah i i just really like yeah i don't know man i i doing dan first brought this up to peel back the curtain of us doing a freaking day I was i was hesitant because we had already been doing the exorcist and i was like i don't know man like he was great but i you know i think there is there's a kind of filmmaking that he he employs in this movie that is really exciting and feels very modern and contemporary and doesn't even feel like it's aged like it's like it's aged in the sense of we don't make movies that look like this anymore unfortunately you know and he also has a quality to his movies where like his movies are someone said this to me in a meeting recently where they said prestige popcorn where it's like movies that take themselves very seriously but are designed to be entertainment for 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 mass consumption so you like you watch the exorcist and you're like man i could just watch that again right now you know Mm -hmm. what i mean you watch cruising which on its face is a a police horror movie about dead uh gay sex workers and you're like and you're like and you're like man i could watch that again man that was it's a banger (laughs) yeah that was a banger um um so yeah i mean r.i.p to the goat i guess he was great yeah, we got one more to go through, but um, I, I would say uh, since these are both sort of older movies that we're digging up, I guess we can give more ratings for both of them. 
So I would say it's a definite reanimate for me, high reanimate. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it has a lot of value in it, both uh, in terms of its craft and the actual storytelling. Um, there were some, like I said, some things that I maybe wanted to see more of relationally between characters, but I think it's still very interesting. And it's a great Pacino performance, uh, especially to support mm -hmm. the replacement theory. So yeah, I'd say reanimate. <laughs> Listen, Pacino has good performances. Heat is maybe Pacino's best performance. It is yeah, also like the most Pacino yeah. performance sure. on the planet. <laughs> what about you, Dan? I really love uh, Dog Day Afternoon, Panic in Needle Park, and this one for like the Pacino performances that go kind of unmentioned mm -hmm. a lot of the time. But this is a high reanimate for me too, man. I, I love this movie. It's, it's, it was managed to still be surprising even upon rewatch. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh wow, like I, Here's all these things that I that I forgot about. Uh, it's so it's so idiosyncratic and like so interesting. I, I don't know. I, I just I wonder uh, what kind of uh, like modern prestige filmmaker would try and make would, would try and adapt this like same screenplay mm. and like and like what oh, differences Guadagnino. there would be. Guadagnino sure, but uh, I mean, but th there's all that police procedural stuff, and, and it's like Friedkin kind of dips yeah. his toes in that with French Connection, and like would Guadagnino even be interested in all that stuff? You know, like this movie's kind of like a perfect uh, harmony of like all, all of Friedkin's interests, I think, and it's also through that lens of the underground S and M community. Yeah, it's it's what? so interesting and like so of its time, which like really kind of enhances the experience for me. Um, so I, I reanimate, yeah. Venture? Would it not be no, I, I don't think so. I, I I wouldn't really see Fincher making this movie. Fincher doing forty-seven oh, that's, takes that's, that's of, a, of a man taking his pants off. Oh, I could see. <laughs> I could see Fincher doing this with like. I could see Fincher doing this with like Adam Driver. Um, I, mean, I feel like Fincher's I, whole thing is like cool guy cinema, and I, I just don't really of. see him doing S. I mean, in the you know? in the killer, he's it's like. Hang on, I'm watching The Killer tonight. Cool the, 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 the Killer, killer is the most Reddit movie ever. Made. It's so <laughs> but the like, killer I, is I, like I think the movie's great. It's very Reddit. You know what I mean? The Killer is like about an uncool guy who has like an inner monologue. Who's really it's about a Reddit <laughs> dweller who calls other people normies. You know, um, I would also Smiths say, all the time, which was very cool. I would also say it's a high reanimate. I really enjoyed it. I thought, you know, I love Pacino. Um, I love the way it was shot. I love the blues and the mm -hmm. blacks. And I love whenever someone yeah. steps out of view, they become a silhouette immediately. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of fun. I love the sound design, the crinkles of belts mm -hmm. and the, yeah, it's great. The leather the boots and the jackets. Yeah. yeah. Um, great. Really, really great movie. Um, a movie I wasn't expecting to like as much as I did. Um, great. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought it was really good. Me too. Good N news to me, though, that it was protested. I, I need to look into that. Yeah, it was. I think the 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 community's like reaction to the movies is, is like so different back then than how it is now. That's that's really interesting because that's that wouldn't be the first time a freaking movie almost you know got banned. Yeah, so, well, he stayed on the I mean, edge. Good, good for him, man. Yes, good to be provocative. It is. Um, that's cool. So we'll continue this conversation when we come back from our second break with an earlier film, 1977, Sorcerer. Uh, 
you know, it's it's funny. I'm not sure if you there's a piece of trivia here that's really interesting. Do you know what movie uh, Sorcerer came out uh, against like on the same weekend? No. Little known movie. Uh, Was it Star Wars? You might know it's Star Wars. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> no, came, came out the same weekend as Star Wars. Completely got dwarfed by what is uh, the the second blockbuster ever made. Completely dwarfed box office like abysmal. And you know, to kind of like console everybody, freaking's like, well, come award season. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna walk away with something. Yeah. Award season comes. It gets one nomination, and it's for best sounds, which of course they lose again Dude, to Star Wars. Star Wars. Uh, wow. So Star Wars also goes home with Best Picture, um, just to kind of add insult to injury mm. there. Uh, it, it's funny, though, because much like the film that shares an opening weekend with Sorcerers centers around a ragtag team, you know, overcoming impossible odds yeah. to, I guess, like liberate a population. Mm. Right. In, in a lot of ways, dropping the nitroglycerin is kind of like making that little perfect shot into the, the Death <laughs> into Star. The Death Star. Right? Uh, yeah, well, that in a lot of ways. No, oh, I was going to ask before you continue, just because. So, is that actually the the delivery of the dynamite is for this? Uh, is for like the rebellion? They're fighting fire with fire. Oh, yeah. interesting, interesting. Trying to, yeah, it, it was an interesting plan for sure, and then it, it's of course wrapped up in in just the most insane. Uh, yeah. Trappings, I guess. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the, the the actual like kind of conceit here? So, which is the, these men of different backgrounds doing this crazy thing? Yeah, I think it's it's really uh, compelling. I love movies about dudes in distress. Uh, so <laughs> it's mm. like it reminded me having to work together. Yeah, and... having to just just figure it out. Um, I said in my letterbox review that it would probably make a great pairing with *The Five Bloods*. Uh, there was a sure. lot of similarities I found. And it also made me even think a little bit of uh, Carpenter's The Thing, just like mm-hmm. different guys. And I mean, there's... And their dynamics. Yeah, their dynamics yeah. together. Um, I, I like the idea of circumstance forcing you to do something you would never do otherwise. Right, um, right. And yeah. this sort of desperation that all of these men are under that, you know, yeah, that, that, that compels them to take up this, this suicide trip. Um, but only mm-hmm. one of them makes it back, which is Roy Scheider. I think um, yeah. it's uh, it's really interesting. I think you know, due to my own like I texted you my own scheduling conflicts, I was like watching it intermittently. And if I sat- and, and I totally I totally relate to you, man, because like that, without knowing that that opening is a bunch of vignettes, it's like imp- it's impossible to follow. You think like one event like, yeah. inspires <laughs> the next, and it's it's a bunch of wait, and now this has happened. Like it opens with. Uh, uh, Nero assassinating yes. the guy, and then it goes into uh, Kassem, mm-hmm. the the Palestinian man, uh, being on the run from the IDF, yeah. and then it goes into uh, right before Roy Schneider and pulling the heist. It's on the, the French Catholic dude, church, the, him and the Irish gang, the French dude. Yeah, and, and it's like it's it, when I first saw this, like I was just like you, I had no idea those were a bunch of vignettes, so I was like really struggling to like follow what was going on, and then the movie kind of like fills itself out. Yeah. I'd say about like half an hour in. And lets you know that like that's all just kind Preamble. of the prologue, like four kind of prologues, if you will, like that go into the four of them being in this place and needing a, a means of getting out, and therefore needing one another. Yeah, you yeah. Know? The, the search for citizenship being like, or, or, or just, I mean, yeah. citizenship just being in this case like the uh, the key to a new life for themselves. Uh, and here, mm-hmm. this- and they're, they're all like living in squalor. Yeah. Uh, Kasem's one friend might 
be an ex-Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's definitely like a melting pot of like different personalities that all find themselves in this one village. Yeah. Um, really, really interesting. Like, I, I don't even think I realized that that's what was going on with the Kassem character when I first saw this. Um, he is... He was a Palestinian militant who kind of in an act of protest um, organizes this uh, like a, attack, mm-hmm. if you will. And the IDF busts him and his mm-hmm. buddies. Well, 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 his buddies get busted. And he's out of the house. And he sees his yeah. buddy get like carried away. And I mean, I, I struggle to even like now think of another like, you know, American movie for Western audiences that portrays like a palestinian man is like a very likable and nuanced protagonist yeah you know? i i remember when that part of the movie started in jerusalem i like i seized in my chest i was like oh this is right, a right. very interesting because time to be watching on. this movie it's gonna be interesting to talk about that um yeah. but i yeah i you're i see your point i can't think of i can't think of another time um even even the, and yeah. when he's when he's like on that bridge you know it's like holy shit like not not yeah, same, I don't want, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's he's the best there were actual and we'll get guy. through it or we'll get to it as we go through but there were moment there was one moment where even despite a stop again stopping and starting this movie throughout the day so many times there was this moment that happens and i i covered my my mouth like i was so shocked by uh by what was it the was it on the bridge no it actually wasn't it was it was later it's like oh, right towards the end although the the bridge scene i mean we you know that's obviously like the Dude. the key centerpiece uh, right i i i I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna go out like on a limb here i'm gonna say that has to be not just of the genre or the decade that has to be top five most suspenseful scenes in a motion picture in any movie like that that is like a solid five minutes of just like white knuckle yeah. holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. Like I when I first saw this, it was at the Paris Theater's big and mm-hmm. loud thing that they were doing where they completely redesigned the sound system oh, cool. and stuff. Okay. And they were showing all these movies that they had on prints and movies that are like made for like crazy Dolby sound. And they were showing Sorcerer on on a print and you could tell like just like I had never seen it. A bunch of people in the crowd you could tell had never seen it before. And and people were like <gasps> yeah <laughs> like you know i i i went with the with a friend and you know the the whole time she was like digging her mm-hmm. nails into my arm i was like dude god th- this scene like specifically that scene fucking holds yeah. up I mean, how much that that is like a master class. how much do you know about the production of not just the movie but that scene because i mean i can't think of a way that he films um, that without actually oh, that doing it like i don't I, I gotta say man like if i was in that position like i know we're in a hurry and stuff but like I'm just going to camp in the car for the night, wait for the rain yeah. to stop and like not have the water level be so high, like washing over the bridge before we drive over this yeah. fucking rickety ramshackle thing. <laughs> uh, no, it, that must've been, that must've been the case. And, and, you know, I'm sure stunt drivers sure. or have you, and I'm sure they, they took proper precautions to make sure the bridge wouldn't give out. But God, that is like, no, the only way to like do that is to do yeah. that. It's, it's, you it's, know, it's so impressive. It's also a testimony. This movie uh, really, um, the production design stands out in, in a lot of ways. And then this remote Colombian town, um, yeah. you, you can, you can feel the sweat. You can kind of like, just feel how humid yes, it is. Absolutely. And everyone just looks. Yeah. It's, aesthetically. I, I, I feel like this is a lot like, like apocalypse now. Interesting, like yeah. it's just every, every frame is so like past that, you know, prologue is so mud drenched yeah. and, and fucking and sweaty and blood yeah. soaked. And like, God, these guys are, I, I doubt they've ever been in a wedding <laughs> yeah. in, in their lives, yeah. and, and they, with with you know 
various yeah fluids very, everything going on and I, and I think the 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 highlight of the production design is that truck, especially when it's coming over the. It looks yeah, like a monster. Yeah. It reminded me of. Um, oh, absolutely! It reminded absolutely. me of. Uh, when you see the poster, you think it's about some like killer. Yeah. Truck well, I, so yeah. I thought of Duel when I was watching it. Uh, Spielberg's yeah, yeah, Duel yeah. because it was like there's a, there's a word that I should have looked up before we recorded, but it has to do with like the ability to see faces in inanimate objects, and that truck, that no, grill has I, a I face. Feel you. I feel you. And so when it's it's aggressive climbing sure. over this bridge, like. And all the things they have to do to, because he makes uh, the the hitman guy get out and like chart the, he makes him climb in yeah. front of it first, right? And then Kassam gets I, I love their little problem solving yeah. uh, moments that they do here. We're, we're like, Roy Schneider's like chopping down the trees and Nero goes, uh, you, you, you're like crazy or whatever. And he's like, it's just three or four yeah. trees. And um, <laughs> throws in the machete to start digging and pulls out the gun on him and, and make your move and shoots the wall behind him. That's just like a perfect, yeah. Like, little moment of filmmaking there between those two characters and the circumstance there. Yeah. In. We have, uh, just so we have Jackie Scanlon slash Juan Dominguez played mm. by Roy Scheider. We have, uh, uh, Victor Manson slash Serrano, who is the, uh, the French man yes. who's masquerading as Love Serrano. Man. He's an interesting character, character. Very interesting. He's uh, then we have Francisco Rabal as Nilo. Um, uh, Oh, not Nero, Nilo. Yeah. Okay. And then Amidou saying, as Kasim slash Martinez. I think it's very interesting that Roy Scheider, who is one of the whitest looking men ever, like is trying to right. trick people into thinking he's a Dominguez. <laughs> he's got... Great. Uh, I just like as an actor, I think he's got to be one of the most underrated, like, like leading men. He looks great this in this era, movie. And like, he, he's got this like, like sorrow that's yeah. just like set in his face. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're like, just his resting face just looks like there's like so I much love going the on moment, behind his eyes. The moment after uh, the car crash when he meets with this guy who's setting him up to take the plane ride and he's just beat to crap and he's got like the broken nose yeah, bandage. Yeah. Like he looks really cool like a, yeah. like a protagonist in this kind of movie. Um, and I think, I mean, the yeah. only other thing I I can remember seeing him in is Jaws, obviously. So Yeah, Jaws is the big one. Yeah. yeah. He's in French Connection. Okay, I still have to watch um, that. So was he one of because freaking had a because even the guy the friend who who sent him on the trip that guy shows up in cruising as well he's one of the uh, he's one of the detectives yeah. so freaking I guess like any other director had a few faces that he liked to, has, has his yeah, boys he likes to rotate you know, he's got his boys these are the boys it seems right? like he yeah. he liked to maybe switch up the lead but he loved to use the same mm-hmm. supporting cast definitely here and there definitely um. um the f- funny bit of trivia about this that well i guess it's not so much trivia as just as much as it's like a collective like response no one knew what this movie like was supposed to be like the trailers don't make it like very clear and then like it's called sorcerer so you imagine yeah. it's like a fantasy right. thing and then the poster is like a truck on a bridge so it's like what's going on i think that kind of i mean nothing was ever going to make more money than star wars <laughs> on the same weekend yeah. Um, but I, I think the fact that like no one really quite like knew what it was, whereas like comparatively, like w- with Star Wars, I mean, that shit was already on lunchboxes yeah. like prior to the movie, like officially dropping. So um, but like even even now, people are always like, I, I just watched Sorcerer and I had no idea that that's the movie it was. But it's got this like apocalyptic aesthetic to it yeah. you know it, it, it really feels like an end of the world like a mad max thing, there's a there's know? a direness to it um yeah and i think that's what that's what is what maybe some people are taking away as maybe that apocalyptic feeling it's got me curious what else i'm looking up now like 
highest grossing films came up for 1977. Obviously, Star Wars is number one. Right after is Smokey and the Bandit. Uh, <laughs> and then Close Encounters of the Third Kind at third. Oh, wow. I didn't even know yeah. that, that came out that And then year. you have Saturday Night Fever, The Goodbye Girl, A Bridge Too Far, The Deep, <laughs> The Spy Who Loved Me, Oh God. Nice, nice. Uh, American comedy film with George Burns and John Denver. And then Annie Hall at number 10. <laughs> oh, wow. So Woody Allen fucking beat freaking. Yeah, I, I mean, I because of that, I'm curious. Like, if Star Wars didn't come out in, in 77... It's interesting. Still, to think about it, like I said, man, it's it's the marketing, yeah. and I mean, I don't. I I feel like this would have been on theater screens for like two weeks, and the, the returns would have been. They would have just been like, we can use this auditorium to sell out more Star Wars right. shows. It's like, well, why even continue? Well, yeah. So, the, according to Wikipedia, the budget was twenty-one to twenty-two million, and the box office was five point mm-hmm. nine million between theatrical God. and rentals, and then nine million worldwide. <laughs> so it, yeah, it. Okay. It's, yeah, didn't even break even. No, no, uh, didn't even break even on a small budget. Yeah, it's so. it's very interesting. Also, where does this come in Friedkin's career as far as what what he's made before? This is um, I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure it's right after The Exorcist. It is. You Let yeah. Me see. Yeah, four yeah, years between them. He, the only thing in between is a short thing that he did where he interviews Fritz Lang that that wasn't even like. A movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So yeah, Exorcist. So for, yeah, for, four years, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And he he would have been. I mean, that would have been the most famous that he was in his career. Mm-hmm. And for him to drop this movie and like it not even to break even, that must have been very humbling. <laughs> I mean, not to rip, not to rip on the guy. No. You know, like like that happens to every filmmaker, I think, at some point. But I mean, that is brutal. Yeah. That's really brutal. Yeah. Um... Damn. Follows it up with the Brinks job, which I have not seen. I PG movie from seventy eight. The Brinks job. Sorry, no, I'm no, it's distracted. fine. The, the the Brinks job. Uh, oh, Bo- Boston fictional retelling of the infamous Boston Brinks company robbery on January seventeenth. Okay, so, so it's a heist. Freaking loves a heist, I guess. <laughs> no, he loves his yeah. He, lo- he loves his blue collar guys having to figure it out, do something to get ahead and maybe find themselves along the way. Yeah. And, yeah, that kind of thing. It's uh, you know, I think also one of the highlights, the bridge scene, I I and I was gripped by, but also that was like the one thing everyone talks about. So going in, I I knew that that was coming. Mm-hmm. I also thought that, and this is when I I had the uh, five bloods connection, but the scene where they have to clear the tree from the road, I think is so yeah. interesting. Um, yeah, really and obviously it's like yeah. they get across the bridge and then there's this last obstacle and Nilo has like a mental breakdown and just starts laughing. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, that Kasem like gets up calmly and he walks over it and he's like, I think I can clear it. And you're like, oh, of course, like the yeah. bomb builder, like if anyone's yeah. going to be able to. And so finding a way to use a little bit of the nitro um, and then rigging this like sand trap so he can time it so he can get far away enough. And then the explosion itself. I mean. These are some of the great explosions. Like Kevin McAllister with that. Yeah, yeah. These are some of the great explosions in in cinematic history for sure. Great. Absolutely, um, absolutely. And it did Fantastic very much remind explosion. me of like that five blood scene where Jonathan Major steps on the mine, and so Delroy mm-hmm. Lindo has to figure out how to get him off the mine without, you know, right. so that he doesn't die. Um, but yeah, what you're talking about. So this is the, the the scene that was probably the most shocking for me is they get past all of it. It looks like the sun's coming up. You've got uh, Serrano and Kasem in the truck, and Serrano's talking about the the watch that his wife gave him. And then 
the wheel goes over Dude. one piece of road that falls out and they just they're gone i was yeah i i my, my friends i saw this with she when when i saw them theaters my friend was like uh, i should have known the second he starts talking about his wife yeah and i was like you, you you're probably that should have been like the giveaway yeah, yeah. He, he starts talking about uh how much he misses his wife and like the the little object of affinity, you yeah. know, and then that, of course, would just usher in that character is going to die mm-hmm. right now. I mean, it's also know? even uh, even it's heartbreaking, even in the actual humanity, like within the film, it's it's the one moment where he's not focused on like his own life. And mm. and, and he takes mm. his eyes off of that off the road for like a minute and then he's gone. Yeah. He's just up. And the, the tire blows, right? No, it's it's that it, it the a piece of the road gives underneath them, and it tips the whole okay, truck into the ravine, and so and then Damn. you see he has the shot of the nitro falling forward in the in the back, so yeah. you know there's nothing. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like it, it's a, it's like a saw trap, right? It's like you have to make good on this like yeah. conceit of danger that you have the the character in. It's like a lot of the time if like someone survives a saw trap like people are like oh well, i kind of wanted to see what it was gonna do yeah yeah yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. so like most of the time people they fail the trap so that you can it can deliver on the promise of and now his eyeballs are gonna get back <laughs> out, you know that kind of thing but 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 like way before those movies it's like there were probably people sitting there going you know i like these guys but i kind of somebody should see die the truck somebody should yeah. go yeah. yeah um and then after that they run into these freedom fighters. I think when I rewatch this, cause I will, there's the aspect of like the, the whole sort of uh, sh- uh, socio political struggle that's happening in this town. Yeah. Definitely went over my head during this. Um, so I'd want to rewatch mm-hmm. to kind of graft onto that more because it's, it's like we said, it's, it's very interesting that they just wind up being instruments of this because it's yeah. maybe incidentally, they'll find their freedom by completing this task you know, right. and I think also if I rewatch it, you'll there's probably hints to each of these characters differing. Maybe not so much Nilo because we know so little about him, but they're differing uh, ideologies as it would pertain to exactly uh, this struggle that's happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, Roy is playing this this Irish mobster um, who rips off a Catholic church, yeah. so he may be like one of the maybe he's like. Even on a morality spectrum, you could say maybe he's one of the less moral guys. Sure, and then you've got sure. Serrano, who is a defrauder. I, I mean, I would watch a movie that's just about that. Mm. That's just about the the gang that Schneider was with, and, and they're kind of warring factions with uh, the other gang. Exactly, because at, just at the um, end, they come back. Yeah. Oh, dude, in fantastic ending. But but I was just going to say, great little touch in in that pro in his prologue there where the the woman is like getting married and she just like casually has a black, has a black eye. eye and it's like oh, okay so, so this gang that they're robbing is they're probably shitty dudes to begin yeah. with yeah you know? that was yeah um, that was another thing i didn't even i didn't fully at first i thought that he was actually a cop and i didn't realize until later after the right. movie was over that they were they had been a mob together um but yeah no there's there's probably both in that and maybe in um in Kasem there are like fuller movies that could have been told. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, bringing all four of them together is fascinating. This is before the era of, you know, spinoffs and, and Disney plus. And all that <laughs> stuff, you know? had, had, had Sorcerer been probably uh, 
Star Wars instead of and like Star Wars was sort of yeah. surreal, like box office wise. Maybe Disney would have bought the rights to yeah, it. Yeah, we'd to, have a Kasem series. Like a yeah, Kasem, a sorcerer, <laughs> a sorcerer's story. Yeah. It's Andor, but it's um, it's with Kasem. Are do you are you aware of other really for either of these movies? I meant to ask for the last one too. Alternative cuts, um, director's cuts, or anything like that. I I don't know. Um, I think it's just the cuts of it that exist. I, I don't think Freakin was like a Coppola, you know, mm. how, how like Coppola is always, is always like, well, uh, the, the cut that exists of apocalypse now is just kind of the, the assembly cut. Mm-hmm. And I'm, and I'm still working. He said that like for decades and decades. And then like would release like two more cuts of apocalypse. Now I don't think he was like a Coppola personality. I think with freaking, it was like, no, th- this is pretty much what I envisioned. Yeah. And yeah, you know, it's, it's out there. Uh, no need to go back and mess with it. Yeah. You know? It's interesting that, exorcist has like does have that distinction but i guess even with exorcist right, right. there's only really the one like there's the spider walk thing the one main thing yeah. the main thing which yeah. is different um i also think yeah. i mean we talked about fincher obviously um a little bit and i don't think they're i wouldn't say that they're sim- entirely similar at all um there is a there's an interest in procedure that is shared between them for sure mm-hmm. there's an interest in uh in psyche that's shared between them I was going to say that freaking all three of these movies, well, he denied it a little bit with Sorcerer, but all three of them are adaptations. Uh, Exorcist, Cruising, and Sorcerer mm-hmm. are all yeah. adaptations of, of source material. I know what he specifically denied yeah, the, was... The Wages of Yes, fear. what he specifically yeah. denied was that it was a remake of that uh, 50s movie that had already come mm-hmm. out. Um, I, I think it's like a Carpenter's The Thing, mm-hmm. you know, where, where like it's an adaptation of Who Goes There by Joseph Campbell, and that story had been adapted in the past, but like Carpenter's wasn't actually a remake of that, of movie. that movie. It was just adapting the source material yeah, in a different way. Uh, um, yeah, and I I don't know. I've I've I'm not as avid a reader as I used to be. I'm trying to get back into it. Sure. Um, but I, I feel you know, it. novels the the act of condensing a novel into a film is is Herculean. I mean, that's hard. <laughs> did we say it at the same time? We did. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it's it's funny though because like I remember reading um, East of Eden by Steinbeck, and that's like uh, mm. got to be six hundred pages around there somewhere. And mm-hmm. you know, the story begins with like this guy Adam and uh, his brother, and they they have like um, you know a tough relationship. They don't really get along. Uh, he meets mm-hmm. this sex worker who is who has been like um, beaten and stuff. Her name's Kathy, and she's supposed to be like the embodiment of like evil in the story. It's it's like a retelling of the Bible, um, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the the uh, uh, Cain and Abel story. Um, so so the story of Cain and Abel keeps repeating itself like throughout the book, where it's like him and his brother in the beginning, and then he has these sons and the sons like don't get along and there and there's the whole I'm not my brother's keeper thing uh done so it's like a running motif in the book when they adapt that the Aaliyah Kazan movie with James Dean they only adapt like the last third of it and so this is always mm-hmm. like my example of like how you know it, it's really tricky to adapt certain because you know you can't adapt the whole thing it would be like at least four hours but in skipping out on like the beginning of that book like you you miss the motif of of like history yeah. repeating itself which is kind of like yeah. the whole point of of Steinbeck's book it's it's like even the story from the bible will like repeat itself like until history is you know at its yeah. close um but, i mean just like you know for an example like like what, what you're saying is true it's it's really hard to cross 
mediums. I mean, we, we see it all the time. Like video games can't get adapted because they always fuck it up. It's really hard to adapt that medium and yeah, change it into something else. Um, there's there's always something vital about each medium, right? Yeah, I mean yeah. that that makes it what the medium it is, is the so, message, right? And and so to that end, when you set about, I think transferring something, you have to. You, you know you can't replicate what was specific to the medium you're taking it out of, but you can use the strengths of what you're putting it into to hopefully elevate the story in a mm-hmm. new way. And I think, you know, novels have what movies can't do, which is like the, I mean, movies have narration, but sure. you can't really do internal monologue the same right. way right. that you can. You can't spend- And you read a novel like, at your own pace. So, exactly. So really like pacing is kind of like figure that beforehand and then like, in a, in in a movie, they can adapt a part of the novel that you're reading at your own pace, and like, just doesn't so, match up with the pace that you have in your mind when you're in going your head. The story, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's yeah. I mean, I I I can't even say that I've necessarily read anything that, if I were presented with the opportunity, I'd want to adapt. I also feel that you know this is part of why many series are so popular for book adaptations because mm-hmm. the idea of having more time definitely, to flesh definitely. things out, which can work. But I think for without having read you know um, the Wages of Fear, uh, Sorcerer feels like it. It's like I can imagine reading the bridge crossing scene just from having watched it. Mm-hmm. I can imagine how he would desc- how the author would describe definitely. something like that. The weight of the truck, the 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 pounding rain and the wind and the shakiness yeah. of the bridge, like it's all because there's no there's really no actual dialogue. There's like some shouted lines, but there's not mm-hmm. like it's just raw desperation. And I actually, when it was over, I went back. It's like ten minutes from the time they arrive mm-hmm. at the start of the bridge to when they get off. It's yeah. just ten minutes. And when he so, falls through the bridge, man, and like the yeah. sound cuts <laughs> out and the screen goes to black. And he's like trying to climb back up, and the and the truck is just like trudging along. It's like, oh, it's it's yeah. like, oh, I like. That I thought it was gonna roll. I thought it did roll over his his, uh, yeah, his leg yeah. at the very least. I it was oh it was God. very uh, stressful. Just lightning um, in a bottle. That whole sequence. Yeah, really amazing. It's, it's like you said, he made the hell out of that movie. Yeah, for sure. He really um and and the thing I also respect about Freakin, from what I've learned over these last two episodes, is that um he's he seems to like be it, willing to get in the trenches with mm, his actors and his definitely. crew. He's not going to like tell you to do something and not. No, he, go he was sitting so in video speak. village that whole time yeah, while, while they were yeah. running the truck over the bridge for sure. Yeah. He was, he was out there for better and or for He's worse. In the trenches, um, man. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's it again, because of like maybe his documentary interests, it definitely. lends to that sense of realism. Yeah. Um, you have any other major points? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I really love this movie. I'm trying to think of if, if there's like a major thing that maybe we, that maybe we skipped. Oh, um, it's like a lot of set pieces. Yes, definitely. But there's also, um, Nilo, was it Nilo or Nero? Mm-hmm. Nilo. Nilo. Uh, he assassinates, um, Kasem's friend. And, and I guess I always had some confusion. Ah. Like, is he in the, because we know that he's a hitman for hire. He's a hired gun in the beginning of the movie. The very first thing yes. we see is him assassinating a man in his apartment. And so I wondered, yes. like, did he kill that guy so that he could usurp his position as one of the drivers of the truck because he also just needs money to get out of this town? Or was he a hired gun to go and kill like Kasem's friend that Kasem finds oh, dead in yeah. the apartment? Um, it, or was it like a, I guess it couldn't be both, but it's like, was he a hired gun or, or did he really just need what that guy had, had that job? Right? 
Um, yeah. Interesting, interesting bit of storytelling there because I, I do believe it's like purposefully ambiguous. Um, and and then uh, Kasem calls him, uh, accuses him of being a Zionist uh, mm-hmm. and calls him a Jewish dog. But from the rest of the movie, I, I I'm pretty sure he's Italian. Like like I don't think they ever say that he's Jewish. And he, he's certainly, right. I, I think Kasem gets the impression because he, he kills the guy who is like suspected of maybe being an ex-Nazi, but mm-hmm. that it's an interesting bit of writing there because, because there's no real way to know exactly what's going on. And we never get like a, you know, an answer to that because Roy Schneider doesn't want to fucking talk to the guy. No, uh, no. Yeah. It's uh, I, that, that scene definitely is one that I'd have to go back and pay closer attention to. It, it, it may be that, I guess I interpreted it as the maybe the former option. I think you said, mm-hmm. which, or not the former, the, the latter, which is that he took it out of desperation, right. or just like, yeah, I, I need to get out of here. He, um, but he's still like a well dressed man, like he is when he's a hitman. Yeah. In the beginning of the, you know, in the beginning of the movie, he's wearing a suit, he's very dapper, and he assassinates the guy. And then when we see him again, he doesn't look like the rest of the people in the town, which kind of no. gave me the the inkling that maybe he was a hired gun to go there and, and like kill it. But like who would. Right. Or destabilize the, sure, the sure. rebellion yeah, yeah. or something. Maybe he's like there on a job. It, it, it could be both. I mean, who knows? Yeah. Um, um, in, interest, interesting writing though, for his character and just kind of his origin and, and how he happens across the, the gig as it were. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great characters, like I said. The, the movie's got really interesting they're all, characters. They're all good. They're all very distinct, and obviously part of part of that is pulling them from different regions of the mm-hmm. world. Um, but yeah, I think there's there's the 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 DNA of of something like this can be seen in a lot of different things, Definitely. And, and probably was seen before. But yeah, like the ragtag assembly, mm-hmm. you know, in going Star back Wars, to like, the same weekend, yeah, same yeah, weekend, yeah, even even like Seven Samurai, right? Definitely. Like Definitely. That, Definitely. that kind yeah. of thing. Um, so what did you think of uh serrano's buddy who in in his pro- we keep going back to their prologues but uh, <laughs> they're they're pretty dynamic prologues when his buddy finds out that his dad will not lend him the money to get out of this whole fraud situation and so he's like it's all right like it's okay like don't worry we'll figure it out later his buddy goes into the car and just kills himself it's <laughs> just like yeah. the, the back windshield confused. blows out I um, thought again. I thought like he had been. I thought he'd been assassinated or something. Yeah. That he just figured, oh, I'm going to be in man. prison and I can't handle yeah, it. I can't so bullshit I'm... myself anymore. It's it's <laughs> it's it's like I wonder if it's supposed to be funny because when Serrano goes over to make sure and sees that he's killed himself, he goes man, like does that to the it's car? The top and of then, the car. And then they cut away like you would in the comedy, like and then just yeah. something else. <laughs> and like, but my audience like laughed when I saw this in theaters. I wondered if that was supposed to be like. A f- because it is a funny moment you it's know? so it's so jarring yeah. that it, it 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 feels a little bit like it's a it's a comedic beat and friedkin isn't i don't think far into those even you know, as heavy yeah. as the material is there's in his dark films, comedy in the exorcist for sure for sure um and like we talked about the the big <laughs> black daddy yes yes who smacks which we, we, we surprisingly we, didn't spend a lot of time on although but, we didn't spend too is, much time on that. that that is a pretty interesting scene yeah uh, um yeah so I, I, who's to say? I, I do think that it's quickly sort of uh, overtaken by the tragedy of him being like, "Tell my wife I have to go away on yeah, business," yeah. and then he's just he never sees her again. Um, ah well, I, I would oh. say, um, in in closing, really enjoy it. Would will want to rewatch uh, mm-hmm. in in one complete sitting. Um, so I can't say immortal 
but I would say another high reanimate. I think sure. it's on the precipice. I rated it a little higher than cruising because I felt like even though its ending was also vague, um, uh-huh. there was there was a bit more of a finality to the character and a bit more, or, you know, like you understood. I think the full journey that that uh, that Roy Scheider's character had been sure. through, where it was just like he's just broken. Kind of tragic, man. Kind of tragic yeah. because he actually waits for the plane. He wants the plane to wait for him. He goes. He goes. Can I get a few minutes? Yeah. And much like, you know, like the finales to The Sopranos, probably mm. where he is and when he is. And the fact that he's right there is uh, his undoing, you know? Yeah. If he had left just a few I know, seconds earlier I know. instead of waiting it's, for that dance. It's fucking, it's tragic. It's a great ending, though. Fantastic. Yeah. Because, of course, like, the, you know, like you said in the, in the strange uh, show mm-hmm. that we did, The Bill Comes Due. You know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would say reanimate for sure. I, I would... I think it, these these two movies were very well picked out of Freakin's filmography yeah. to look at because they they one of them is is no they're both after The Exorcist but they uh, they have um, his DNA and you can see his style definitely definitely in both of them they they both have they both have little moments of surrealist horror in them that are like mm-hmm. genuinely pretty bone chilling uh, yeah yeah God when when you actually see them writing the sorcerer name on the side of the truck it's almost like a it's almost like a suiting up scene you yeah know? yeah yeah it's, it's like, <laughs> I have expected uh, Roy Schneider to be like groovy you know yeah. so cool. I, I will give this an immortal um I think it's so underrated and and I love that it's had kind of the reappraisal that it's had and and right when uh, freaking past there were there were a bunch of theaters in the city that were like eager to play this one i'm so Absolutely. glad that this movie's kind of gotten the popularity that it always should have uh, i love sorcerer i love freaking um i love this show i love the <laughs> listeners I'm, sh- I'm sure you do too yes and uh, so do I. I think that's a wrap yeah thank you guys for listening we will be back uh very soon uh look forward to next week where we go through scorsese yes. with killers of the flower moon mm. and after hours uh we'll be recording next week it'll be out after that but um until then keep watching movies stay off of shaky bridges and yeah. um deuces deuces Thank you.